Well, good morning, everyone. It's great to hear all your voices this morning and the sense of community in this place. Uh, if you're new here to Fremont Community Church, my name is Eric. I'm one of the pastors here at FCC, and it is great to have you on this rainy day. Um, in the, I'm from the Midwest, so most of my life has been either spent in Northeast Ohio or Chicago. So, like, it's like this all the time, except for half the time it's snow. So, uh, thank you for joining us today. I know it's not even easy to park this morning with all of the flooding going on out there. I'm going to uh, jump into our sermon this morning, but I'm going to say a, a quick word of prayer before we get into it. Uh, Lord, thank you for this uh, time to be together. Um, thank you for technology that allows us to do this online for those who, for whatever reason, uh, couldn't be here today. God, I pray that they would um, uh, just be blessed by this time in community, even though we may be spread out. Lord, thank you for uh, uh, this, this series that we've been going through, Discipleship Pathway. What does it mean to be a disciple? God, continue to help us understand that, and not just understand it in our heads, but to commit to that, to a life of discipleship, following after Jesus, doing what he says, living out his words. Uh, we love you, and that's why all of this matters, God. This is just our, our attempt to love you as best we can. Show us what that looks like, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, if you're here, this means you are here for the very last week of our Discipleship Pathway series. This has been nine weeks going through this, this thing that was originally seven weeks, but we felt like we needed some extra time to flesh it out. And uh, we've been talking about what does it mean to be a disciple, and then what does that look like? So if you've missed any of the weeks, they're all online. Go to uh, fremont.church, and you can click on There's a, a spot on the front page where you can find the sermons. And go back and look at what Discipleship Pathway has been all about. It's been an awesome time to just go through this as a whole church together. Raise your hand if this is the second time you've gone through Discipleship Pathway. All right, a good, yeah, about a quarter of us. Raise your hand if this is your third time going through Discipleship Pathway. Yeah, it's basically me and Matt uh, and the other pastors who lead it. <laughs> we've been through it a bunch. <laughs> so uh, real quick, I want to recap where we've been and kind of close, close the loop here on where we're going. Uh, first, you, you might recognize these five circles of, of what we call the discipleship pathway. The first circle is the one on which all the rest are built. Extraordinary prayer and fasting. And, and we always feel like, we want to clarify, it's extraordinary. Whatever you do as your ordinary prayer and fasting life, we've just encouraged you over these last nine weeks to kick it up a notch. Add one prayer time, skip one meal, or take a social media fast for a day to spend that time praying. Kick it up a notch because God is up to something and we want to tune our antennas to what he's doing. So it's all built upon this, extraordinary prayer and fasting because it is a movement of God, not because we've got all the answers, right? And then the second thing is this idea of living as missionaries. And we spent a lot of time in defining what a missionary does. And we had a video from two of the missionaries that we've supported here at FCC talking about what the day in the life of a missionary is. And it's just as mundane, schedule-driven, day-to-day real-life stuff as your life and my life is. Um, they just happen to go and do it overseas. And so we kind of took a little bit of the mystique off what that means to be a missionary. And what does it mean to live as a missionary? It means to be present to God through prayer. We do step one, and we do it over and over and over again, and we always do step one. And the second thing we do is become present to a place. This is the place where God has put me, and these are the people who's put, he's put around me. And we listen, and we learn, and we relate with those people. And through that, that presence with God and presence with people, we understand what God is up to in their lives and in this place. And we just say, we're willing to join you there. And we talked over the last few weeks about what does it look like to plant the gospel. Um, and I'd encourage you to go back to watch those sermons because you may have heard this word gospel over and over again, and you may not know what it means. Um, because it's one of those words similar to the word discipleship that People have a different version of what that means for them. And so we looked at what does the Bible talk about when it talks about the word gospel, good news, and how do we represent that well with our lives, with our words. And then Matt last week did an amazing job, one, of announcing that he is going to be a dad and that Sandy is going to be a mom, right? Heck yeah. If you don't know Matt and Sandy, Matt is our communications pastor here, and he snuck that in like a little sermon bullet point. It's very tricky. Uh, and, uh, but he also did an amazing job of telling us what uh, Discovery Bible Study is and how you don't actually have to have all the answers and you don't need to have this amazing gospel presentation. You can just invite people to say, hey, like, I don't have all the answers, but, but I, I look to the Bible when I'm trying to find those answers. Do you want to look at that with me? And there's this easy process that anyone can lead. 
Um, and uh, that was awesome. It was also great to hear John's story, who was um, uh, one of our youth leaders, and he shared about how he, he, he took this leap of faith in week two of our youth ministry this year. He was like, hey, I think I want to try this. And uh, he's been doing an amazing job with our students ever since then. Um, so that's, that's planting the gospel. And then you see this thing, MC emerges. What is that? I said at the very beginning of the series that you've heard the words missional community a lot around here, probably if you've been here for the last couple of years. But the reason we didn't spend a ton of time on missional communities in this, uh, in this Discipleship Pathway series is because this is something that emerges. It's not something you can force. It's not a program. What it means is we do steps one through three faithfully over and over and over again. And then over time, you start to see what God is up to and who he's calling you to bless and to reach and then it may take one shape or form or another, but we don't prescribe it. We don't pre-program it. We allow it to be a movement of God, and we build a structure around it. And, and so I haven't spent a ton of time on that because what I really want us to focus on is steps one through three. Because it's out of the faithfulness to those things that a missional community may emerge. Now, one of the things that I, I think is important that we do talk a little about the structure of a missional community. And there, there may be all sorts of different kinds of structures. We have, we have you know, in-house DBSs happening in people's neighborhoods or a, a group of Christian kids at their school starting a DBS. So before school, anybody who wants to come can join them. Or we've got organizations that are meant to serve the city and out of that missional community emerges and on and on it goes. It could take many forms. But they all have a minimal, what we call this really churchy word, an ecclesial minimum. And that just means, what's the bare minimum of, of, that makes up church? What is church, right? And so if you look at this next slide here, this is what we would call the ecclesial minimum. Maybe. Somebody's on the phone. No, I'm just kidding. It's my son. Is my son up there maybe? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> uh, this is the ecclesial minimum. Uh, this means, what does it mean to actually do church? And the first one is community. We gather regularly. We have a regularly set rhythm. We do life together. We share meals together. We care for one another in community. We worship together. And when we think worship, we often think of this. There's this music that's played and we sing together. Worship is, is so much more than that. But it can just be a simple, we're going to open up the Bible and, and study it together. And we're going to spend time in prayer together. That's worship. That's enough. Right? And then you have the, the third thing there, and it's this idea of mission. We share a mission together. We see that God is on a mission to reconcile all things to himself. That's the story of all of scripture is how this world is busted up because of the way that, that sin has impacted us and everything around us. And God has been on a mission ever since to reconcile all things, to heal all things and all people. And so we join him in that mission. Here's what's fun about that. When you have a missional community that you're meeting with, you're doing church. That's as much doing church as this right here. And there's all sorts of reasons why we've highlighted Sunday morning in, in the typical church experience. And there's all sorts of reasons that that's a good thing. Um, but what we're saying as a church as we go through this discipleship pathway is what if the most important thing that we do as a church doesn't happen on Sunday mornings? What if that's one piece of a much bigger puzzle and, and that God is doing so much beyond the walls of this building, and we just want to pay special attention to those things. So, um, you may uh, find yourself in a group of people with a shared mission going, hey, we, we've got the building blocks for a missional community right here. We've got groups like Compassion Network, and there's a group of people who serve with Compassion Network that have started a missional community at FCC and they've built relationships with people who maybe would never come through those doors on a Sunday morning. And they're in relationship with those people because we've been able to serve, serve them through uh, a, a Compassion Network. Speaking of Compassion Network, Joyful Bounty is coming up. And we're hoping for good weather at Joyful Bounty and not a flooded parking lot. But we'll figure it out one way or another. But Joyful Bounty is coming up. This is a way that we serve our community, uh, providing meals and gift cards for those in our community who uh, may be going through a tough time financially. And, and again, Every person we serve, we build relationships with. This isn't just some sort of handout thing. This is a, hey, this, this is a loving community that we're a part of, and everyone's welcome to participate in that, right? And so if you would like to uh, provide some food, gift cards, uh, and serve with us for Joyful Bounty, see Ruth after the service. It is an awesome time. Every time we do that, uh, it, it is just such a, it's a celebration that's happening at our church. It's really, really exciting. You may, um, you may have a heart for kids, and you may see that 
we have a preschool here. And the majority of the families that come to our preschool are like, hey, we know you're Christian. We're not Christians, but we really like your school and the vibe that you've got going. We want to sign our kids up. There are people who literally are on our campus every weekday throughout the year uh, who God has just placed in our lap and said, who, who, who can you serve? Who can you bless? How can you build relationships with these people? Another plug. Beth, our preschool director, is going to be here after service. She is doing an amazing job with our preschool. She's also leading our Kenya team. And so she's going to do a little fundraising out in the atrium after service, selling some things that we have from um, our friend uh, Cassandra, who's our missionary over there, uh, to help support that team that's going. So if you got some cash in your pocket and you want some cool stuff from Kenya, see Beth after the service. But maybe, you know, you've heard about these two things. We've got preschool. There's an opportunity there. We've got Compassion Network. There's an opportunity there. Maybe you're in a life group. And maybe as you look at this, you go, well, we do community. We do, we do worship really well. We nail those things. What might it look like for us to be about mission as well? What would it look like for our life group to take on this kind of missional component? And so I was having a conversation with somebody, and they were talking about, well, you know, when we're in our life group, we want to do deep Bible study. And, you know, to invite immature people to that or just to do DBS, it feels like there's going to be a huge gap between them. To which I said, I, my favorite thing of the week is when our LT, our leadership team, gets together for a discovery Bible study. And how often we go, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what this verse means. <laughs> like, it doesn't matter how long we've been studying the Bible. It, it, like, we can have deep conversations with people all over the spectrum of faith. And, and you're going to be fed by it. And so are they. Right? And the second thing I would say to that is the deep things of Scripture are not about special knowledge that you get when you're a Christian for a certain amount of time with a certain amount of study. The deep things of Scripture are about commitment, doing what the Bible says. That's ultimately what matters the most, right? The other thing that I was, I was you know, talking about with this, with this conversation was this idea that, like, you know, we just need a place for us. We need a place for community, and they're talking about, you know, maybe some of the elderly folks in the church that, that are like, we just need a place where we're cared for. And my, my point to that is like, yes, absolutely. And we need that. And also how many people in Fremont are in that same demographic facing the same challenges and needing the same kind of community, right? And so what if, what if our life group is on mission just because we have an open chair at every meeting and we're praying for who in our community needs to be a part of our community? You see, missional communities can take shape in many different forms, but they all have these three ingredients in them. Community, worship, and a sense of shared mission. Now, those will all take shape in many different ways, but, but they're going to have those ingredients. And here's the thing I want you to know. At the end of the service today, we're actually going to do something I'm really excited about. We're going to ask people to commit. We've got a missionary commitment that I'm going to read out to you. If you say, yeah, I've been following along this whole series, and I, I want to try this. I want to say I'm in with FCC on this whole missionary thing. I love that. But what we commit to you is not, is not to say, hey, good luck. Figure it out. It's to say, hey, you're going, to be, you're going to be hooked up with a coach who's going to check in with you regularly, see how you're doing, praying with you and for you, coaching you, giving tips on, on where to go from there. And I'll talk more about that in a minute. But, but this whole idea of the missional community thing emerging is not something that you have to figure out today to say, I'm all in with this. It's something that God is going to reveal to you along the way as you're faithful with steps one through three. Okay. I want to share a short verse, the shortest verse. We've had some long passages in the discipleship pathway, haven't we? I think we had one that was a whole chapter of Acts that was like 46 verses, and people were like, okay, we get it already. Uh, this one's short, all right? I'll make it nice and short and sweet for you, but it's such a powerful verse. A lot is packed in to two quick sentences. This is 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. This is the Apostle Paul writing to Timothy, uh, someone that he has been discipling. He says, you then, my son, he considers Timothy to be his spiritual son. The relationship there of discipleship is one of family. As disciples of Jesus, we're family together. He says, then, you then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Listen to this sentence coming next. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. This is how discipleship works. It happens in familial relationships. We are brothers, sisters, spiritual parents, aunts, uncles, etc. to each other. 
and we pass on what we've learned to other people. If you take a quick look at that verse, it, it, real quick, guess there's, there's, I mean, there's some wrong answers, but not, there's not a lot of wrong answers. Uh, but guess really quickly, how many generations of faith is, is the author talking about here in just one verse? Shout it out. All of them. Well, yeah, eventually. <laughs> but just in this verse. Two? Three? I'm just, many. Nailed it. Winner. I'm going to say four. All right? And here's why. It starts with Paul, because he's, he's the one speaking. Paul had this crazy experience where he encountered Jesus, right? So there's one generation of faith that started with Paul. He directly heard from God. And then he says this to Timothy, the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable people. So Paul's saying, I've passed this on to you, and then you're going to entrust it to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. This is how discipleship has worked since the very beginning of the church. You receive it and you pass it on. And Paul is talking here to Timothy and saying, I've passed it on to you. You pass it on to others and make sure they're then equipped to pass it on to others. And the expectation is they're going to pass it on to others, et cetera, et cetera, right? This is how discipleship works. But what if it had just stopped there? What if, what if Paul had said, you know what? I had this amazing encounter with God. My life is forever changed. Cool. I'll just call it a day and wait until my time comes and go spend eternity with God, right? End of story. Sadly, I've, I've actually seen and participated in, in versions of Christianity that are a lot like that. You know, I've encountered God through Christ, and now I have assurance that, that he, he's given me eternal life and forgiveness of my sins. And then we go into what's called sin management mode. We think the rest of our life is just spent avoiding all the pitfalls that the world has to offer. Too often, Christianity has been defined by what it's against or what is to be avoided. The whole point of avoiding those things is because when we avoid those things, we push away God's presence. But his presence does more than just, you know, keep us from sin. It also, it's life-giving. It's generative. And this is so powerful. Too many, too many uh, versions of Christianity have been like this. I've empowered God. Now I'm going to avoid sin. I'm going to grow in the knowledge of God and, and avoid sinning all, all that I can. I'm going to isolate myself from things that feel like a threat. Uh, I'm going to make sure that I'm all, all the church programs and Bible studies. And here I wait until Jesus rescues me off this God-forsaken planet. And that's not what the Bible talks about when it talks about faith. It's not what the Bible talks about when it talks about discipleship. According to 2 Timothy 2, a disciple of Jesus is someone who makes disciples. Disciples make disciples. I think that's important that we hear that and know that. Disciples make disciples. Because out of the overflow of their lives, people taste and see that Jesus is good, and they say, I want what you have. See, the old model of church, this is something we stole. Uh, we steal a lot from other churches, and that's fine. It's all for the kingdom. This is something we stole from our friends at the Kansas City Underground. This is the old model of church, right? The, the majority of the work is done by the clergy and staff. They're the ones with the answers, the Bible training. The, the, they know how to make the programs. And then they, you know, have a team of volunteers and leaders under them. And then there's a bunch of people who are like members, but they're more like spectators. They come and they, they sort of participate. Uh, sometimes, some of them give, some of them don't. Some of them serve, some of them don't. But the majority of the people in the church are expected very little out of them, all right? That's the, the way of church that I was trained in. So it's the way that I've participated in my entire adult life of what Christianity looks like. And even as a pastor sitting in that top thing, I'm looked to as the expert. I'm looked to as the one who's supposed to have the answers, and I'm supposed to do the majority of the work. Now, don't get me wrong. I do have the greatest sense of responsibility. This is what God has called me to. This is the role that I play. I'm not saying I shouldn't be doing the work, okay? But... Most people who are participating in this aren't really participating. They're spectators or consumers. And what we're saying at, at, at Christ, uh, Christ I'm going to say my, my past church, Fremont Community Church, uh, what we're saying here at Fremont Community Church is, is that we, we see it differently. It's not about just inviting people to church so the pastor can share with them the gospel and they'll get saved. 
If that was the case, I probably wouldn't be a Christian. The first two pastors I ever had any meaningful interaction with pushed me further away from Jesus than ever drew me closer. The first one was uh, uh, the, the pastor of my, my sweet, sweet grandmother's uh, Presbyterian church in Stowe, Ohio, uh, that she remained a faithful member to uh, even after this experience. But uh, th- this, this reverend went uh, you know, <laughs> to the funeral home when my grandfather passed away and was telling all these stories about all the times he visited my grandfather in the hospital and, and what great conversations they had. He never went to the hospital once. He just made it up. He knew he should have gone. He knew he should have been doing his duty to visit and to pray and all that stuff, but he didn't. He just didn't want to have to admit that. And uh, even as a nine-year-old kid and hearing that story, I was like, what is going on here? I heard the way that my family members were talking about it, and I was like, I don't know, that dude with the robes and the collars, I'm not down with that guy. (laughs) That was the first meaningful experience I ever had with a pastor. The second one was at a church that strangely enough, comes full circle in my life because it was profoundly impactful on somebody else in my life. But it was, um, it was another pastor who uh, you know, was the pastor of a church where my dad started. He started going to a divorce uh, care group there. We've got an amazing divorce care ministry here at FCC uh, because we want to serve anybody who's going through that hard situation. Um, my dad started going there, and he found a lot of value in it. And then he started making my brother and I go to the kids' version of this, which I didn't want to be at. Uh, and then he started making us go to the youth group that I definitely didn't want to be at. Uh, and then he started making us go on Sunday mornings, and I didn't want to be there either. And I remember having conversations with this pastor because my life was a mess. I was a fool. I was running far away from God. The conversations I had with this pastor, they were just so... Like the person he was on stage and then the person he was in a one-on-one conversation were so not the same. And I don't know about you guys, I have what I, I think to be a powerful BS meter and it was just, woo, woo. I was like, nope, I don't think you're genuine, man. I don't think who you are at home or when you're driving in your car or whatever is the same person that you are when you're on the stage. I think you're playing a part. Now maybe that's fair or not, but that's, that's how I felt. And I wanted nothing to do with the Jesus that he was talking about. I bring those stories up to say, if it were just up to pastors to be the ones who uh, present the gospel, to be the ones who reach out into the community, most people are never going to encounter Jesus. Most people in Fremont are not going to meet me or one of the 30 plus other lead pastors in this area. My story is actually one uh, uh, that was totally different, and it fits very well in with this discipleship pathway. My story is a story of growing up in a home of, of you know, pretty dysfunctional home, um, you know, very few interactions with church, but the ones I had were negative. Somehow, through all of that, my brother encountered Jesus in a powerful way. And he went from being my actual, literal partner in crime to, to transforming tremendously in a short period of time. He went from being on the same dysfunctional, self-destructive path that I was to being a totally different person. He went from returning my punches to his face with punches to my face with, I don't fight anymore because there's no violence in Jesus. I'm like, what? Then it just made me want to punch him even more. But (laughs) he was totally different. And his faith, even at that time, his faith was new. And so I started reading the Bible so I could argue with him because I'm like, I bet I can argue this out of him, you know? And the more I read of scripture, I'm like, oh, okay, well, Jesus is pretty cool. Uh, but I, I, I just saw this amazing transformation happen in my brother. He was not only able to walk away from the things that used to trip him up, he was now a person of kindness, a person of joy and peace. And there was no peace in our household growing up. Where did that peace come from? And over time, I'm like, I, I don't necessarily like what he's saying, but I certainly want what he has. And I continued to spiral in that path of self-destruction over time, over time. And then eventually I was like, God, I, if you can give me what he has, if you can give me purpose in this life, if you can give me some sense of peace and joy in this life, I will follow you for the rest of my life. It was not a pastor. It was not a church. It was not a program. And it wasn't a sales pitch. It was the lived transformation power that I saw in my brother. And I saw it up close and personal. We shared a tight, 
quarters in a bathroom, all right? I saw the transformation happen, and I said, there's something real to this. There's some power to this that I can't muster up in and of myself. But my story, my story is not unique. 32% of the people in Fremont say that religion plays an important role in their lives. The vast majority of those people are committed Catholic and Protestant Christians who are probably in a church building or watching church online somewhere here in Fremont right now. What about the rest? What about that 68%? They're not looking for a church, most of them at least. And if our model stays the same, this holy pyramid scheme, if it stays the same, we have very little ability to impact the community around us with the gospel. Because like my story, if it's up to a pastor on Sunday morning to to make the difference in their lives, then it's just not going to happen. So this is why we've decided we want to visually shift what our model looks like. And this is what the FCC model looks like. We still have a pyramid. We just turn it sideways because it's not about hierarchy. It's not about up and down. It's about in to out. Right? And so we have our leadership team and elders who are primarily responsible for for the direction of where we're going as a church. We still bear the the burden of doing that. That is our role and our role alone. Uh, And it is a joy. And then it's our job to equip people. The Bible says the role of leaders in the church is to equip the saints. Saints not like St. Paul, St. Peter. That's a term that the Bible uses for Christians. Equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. And so we pour into trainers and coaches who then pour into others who say, yep, my life has been dramatically changed by Jesus, and now I want in. I want to join him in the work that he's doing. And this is what we call ordinary missionaries. It's not spectacular. It's found in the everyday mundane things of life that we say, I'm going to be faithful to Jesus. I'm looking for who I can bless. I'm open to the conversations that are going to come. And then from there, you see these little pockets, right? Those ordinary missionaries, you know, are partnered up with other people who are going into these different spheres of life, whether it be Compassion Network or a a missional community to our preschool or to your baseball team or to to your neighborhood, whatever that looks like. We're out there, all of us as ordinary missionaries, seeing what God is doing and watching him transform lives. Reaching the people that will never come to this place on Sunday morning. Taking church outside the walls of this church and bringing church to those who can't or won't come through those doors. That's the model that we look to. And why? Why do we do that? Well, if you look at this next slide, there's three verses. We're not going to read them all, but I would encourage you to look these up on your own. These verses talk about a concept called the priesthood of all believers. The priesthood of all believers. In some church structures... There is very, very specific and dominant hierarchy, right? Um, you've got a pope and you've got archbishops and cardinals and, you know, you've got, you've got that type of thing. Um, the Bible tells a story of, of what's called the priesthood of all believers, meaning every one of us shares the responsibilities of the priesthood. Every person who's a disciple of Jesus is also a minister of the gospel, This is God's vision, that we all take responsibility for not only our discipleship, but the discipleship of others. This is biblical. You know, the early church, they had no building, and they had no formal hierarchy like that. Where did they meet? They met in people's homes. Or when they were really persecuted, they met underground, literally in the catacombs. They found wherever they could meet. But they didn't have this this building that they would come to every week. They met around a table. And there was, an old, there was always an open seat at the table. If you read through the book of Acts, you just see more and more people invited to the table. People that, that before would never have been considered to be a part of the family of God. The church is challenged by the Holy Spirit to say, nope, they're welcome to make seats at the table for them. And so if we can go back real quick to that sideways pyramid scheme, that's what I think about this. Every one of us goes to a table, and there's seats at the table for anyone to come and join if they want to. Even the people you least expect are welcome around these tables. The last thing I want to share about the why behind all of this, the why. Why would we change what used to work, what feels familiar, 
what feels comfortable, which feels like it meets my preferences. Is this what I like about church? Why? My heart as a pastor is this. It is when we fully engage what God is up to in the world that we fully feel most alive. If I didn't think that this was what was absolutely best for us as followers of Jesus, if I didn't believe that this is, uh, brings excitement to your faith in ways that you couldn't otherwise. It, I, I, th- I was thinking about it this, this way this morning because we're here, we're in San Francisco Giants country. Oh, I got a yes and a boo, dang. All right, we'll fight after church. Okay, um, no, uh, (laughs) this is the way I think about it. We had something really good, right? There was a point in his career where Barry Bonds was really good at baseball. 40 homers, 40 stolen bases. He was a surefire Hall of Famer. Then he took some magic substances. His head grew a few inches. His body grew. And then he became the greatest hitter in the history of baseball, right? launching 70-plus home runs, breaking all of the records. Okay, this is what we're talking about here. With church, in the old model, we did have something really good, and it worked, and it actually reached a lot of people because the context was different. The majority culture was a a Christian culture, right? Most people had some Christian background that was some familiarity and some, at least a little bit of expectation that you might go to church. So that model worked, and it was absolutely transformational for people. But now we find ourselves in a totally different context, a context where most people aren't Christian and they're not looking for a church, right? And so what happens when we join God in the way he's doing it? It's like steroids for our own faith. I believe this to be true. We had something good, but what if God is doing something even better? What if God has an adventure for you to go on where you will see him in ways that you've never experienced him before? Where you, where you take risks for your faith and you see why it was worth it on the other end, and you feel more alive, more mature. There, this isn't to knock Bible studies, but there's only so much a Bible study can do for your faith. At some point, we gotta go live what the Bible tells us to do, and this is what the Bible tells us to do, to be disciples who make disciples. And I honestly, because I've lived it, and I've watched other people live it, I'm telling you, it's the very best thing. It's so exciting. It's so much fun. Yes, it costs you something a little bit more than maybe church did in the past in terms of risks, steps of faith, but I absolutely believe it's worth it. Well, I want to show you a quick video. This is something that has floored us. Uh, for, for those of us who've been um, able to go and, and connect with some of the other ministries that are, are kind of shifting and going in the same direction, uh, one of those partners, like I said before, is Kansas City Underground. And Rob Wegner is one of the founders of Kansas City Underground. And uh, he, he shared this at one of their missional equipping gatherings. And, uh, and he shared with, the, the, uh, we heard him do this in person, um, but he shared this, at, uh, one of these that they were able to video. And I just wanted you to hear this story. You know, I was thinking about that woman in South Africa, the older woman who's activated 10 groups. And uh, my dad, he uh, passed away. I was, well, how many years ago? And six years ago today? And shortly before he died, uh, I was sitting with him and I was sharing about my latest trip to India. And we had the privilege of being a part of this amazing movement where over a decade it ended up being thousands of microchurches, all led by ordinary people. There's a, there's a woman, we always tell her story. Um, and if you've heard me tell it, I apologize, but wherever I go, I'm gonna tell Martha's story. Because she typifies, I think, why we're here. She's a stay-at-home mom in India, lived on an interstate where there was a lot of sex trafficking and a lot of sex work. And she would send her kids to school, get her motherly duties done, and the Holy Spirit was sending her to the sex workers. She knew that. She was being trained. There was what we would call a hub, providing equipping for her to know how to plant the gospel and plant herself. And she began to shop down there began to make friends with some of the sex workers, took tea, ended up planting the gospel, starting discovery Bible studies. One microchurch emerged, then two, then three. So here's Martha, a stay-at-home mom. And within a year, maybe a year and a half, she was a network leader of a new network of microchurches, right? And I think of that older woman and her sitting there. And now she's looking at this multi-generational, all these people discovering Jesus. And now my dad, 
shortly before he died, I was telling some stories from India, and he looked at me and he said, son, I think I missed it. And I said, what do you mean, Dad? He said, well, my dad met Jesus after a tragic accident. He had four buddies that carried him to Jesus that he played softball with. And he said, you know what, I did, I did everything I was asked to do. I was a Sunday school teacher. Uh, I was a deacon. I was an elder. I was a trustee. But I think I missed it. And that was a defining moment for me. Because I wonder how many of God's people are sitting somewhere just like that older woman was, just like my dad was, and saying, I missed it. Like they, they actually have a masterpiece mission. They have a unique calling. It's their birthright to be a missionary disciple maker. They have the same power that raised Christ from the dead, and they're just being asked to open a door and usher and hand out a bulletin. Now, no disrespect. We are for all forms of the church, but we have a crisis on our hands when churches are filled with people who get to the end of their days, and, and many of them, I think, do say, Missed it. And so we'll... Sorry, Rob. <laughs> We've only got so much time for Rob today. I love that story because there's a couple things packed into it. There's this, you know, ordinary disciple maker in India listening to the Holy Spirit and, you know, not trained, not a seminary trained, you know, ordained pastor, a, a, a stay-at-home mom who said... God's calling me to this, and then look at what God was able to do. It's a powerful story. So if you're sitting here today going, that's nice for somebody else, but God's not going to do that through me. That story just is one of, of dozens and dozens of stories that we've heard over the last couple of years where exactly that type of thing, God works through the people that, that least expect themselves to be able to do it. But then the, the idea about his dad feeling like he had missed it. Um, and I know that's probably a hard story for him to share, but that gets back to what I shared before, you know, part of Rob's heart for, for what he's teaching, part of what I'm here uh, teaching on is because, man, I don't, Jesus says he came to give life and give it to the full. Not to give us, you know, safety, security, all the answers we desire, not to give us an easy road to follow, but full life. Full life that comes when we participate in the life-giving work that Jesus is doing in our midst. When we see people experience new life, it just, it's steroids to our spiritual life. It's steroids to our life groups and our missional communities. When we see God's transformation happen before our very eyes, we know that God is at work. You see these pictures in the Old Testament of people being in the presence of God. Moses would be in the presence of God and he would come back from being in the presence of God and he was literally glowing, right? Like he had, the sun had shone on him and now he was reflecting that is basically what it would look like. He experienced the life of God and then he carried with him the life of God to other people. I'm telling you it's worth it. It's exciting. So what are we asking you to do, okay? If this is the last week, what, what next? What comes next? The first thing, and I'm gonna get to it in a minute, is, is we actually wanna invite you to sign what we call the missionary commitment. Uh, and I'll, I'll get to that in a minute with all the details there. I'm gonna read through it so you know what you're signing. Uh, and if you're joining us online, we are gonna send an email out to everybody who's on our email list so that they can sign an online version of this as well. Um, but, but the missionary commitment is, is simply this. We're, we're saying yes to one year of steps one through three in the discipleship pathway. We have no idea if a missional community is gonna emerge out of that. We have no idea if our missional communities are gonna grow so much that we gotta multiply them. We don't know, that's gonna be a movement of God. But what we're saying is we commit to one year of saying, yes, I will, I will pray and I will fast and see what God is doing in my midst. I will live as a missionary. I will get to know the people that God has placed in my life and discern with God what he's up to. And when the opportunity comes, I will plant the gospel. I will talk about what Jesus has done, and we'll talk about the good news. What also comes next is the Sunday gathering becomes a bit of an equipping gathering. You know, for, for the 
early adopters of Discipleship Pathway, we would do a, a, a twice a month missional equipping gathering where we'd come together, we would share stories, we'd remind ourselves of missional practices. We're going to do that in our weekend worship services and our Sunday gatherings from now on. Now, they'll feel very similar to how they've been, but you're going to hear stories all the time of people taking little steps of faith and watching God do big things. You're going to hear stories about people being healed and people uh, being free and people being saved, and it's going to be very exciting. But we're also going to, every week, make sure that there's something in our service that reminds you of, of a missional practice, reminds you of a blessed rhythm, reminds you of the thing that we've committed to. And part of that, part of being a disciple isn't just we share the gospel. There's all sorts of other things. And we're going to still make sure that, that you're spiritually fed, that, you're, that, that your soul is taken care of. That's all going to happen. But part of being a disciple is saying, don't forget, we're joining God on mission. And the last thing, it's coaching. Like I said before, if you sign the missionary commitment, you're going to get connected with a coach, um, somebody who's going to regularly check in with you and help you on every step of the pathway. There's, there's times where, where you're, you're feeling like nothing's happening. I'm stuck. Am I doing something wrong? That coach is going to talk and pray that through with you. I think I found my people of peace. Now what? How do I talk about Jesus with people who've got no Christian background? How do I tell my stories in a way that demonstrates God's work but doesn't feel too heavy-handed? How will I know when it's the right time to introduce DBS? You don't have to answer those questions today. You're going to have coaches who are going to connect with you and process this through with you, pray for you, and celebrate the wins along the way. So, I know we're going a little long today. That's all right. We're just going to wait the rain out a little bit. I want to just read out to you what the missionary commitment is so that if, if you feel like, hey, I've already signed this last year. I'm totally on board again this year. You can run up here, and uh, during our worship set at the end, you can sign that missionary commitment. Um, but I want you to hear it out loud. And, and maybe, again, this is enough for you to say, I'm in. I've been with you all nine weeks. Uh, if you want to wait and pray about this for a couple days, that's also cool. You're going to get an email and you can sign up online. But here's what it says. As an ordinary missionary with Fremont Community Church, I acknowledge and accept the role of a servant. First to God, his kingdom, and his cause. Second, as a servant to my fellow community and, and, and to my uh, local movement as a whole. And third, to the people under the care of the missional community I will lead or to which I am or will be associated. I therefore willingly commit myself to the items in this missionary commitment. I realize that I may fail at times to fully keep these commitments, but I think it's important that I uh, purpose in my heart and confirm publicly my desire to keep these commitments as God enables me. Spiritual commitment. I endorse wholeheartedly and without reservation the beliefs of Fremont Community Church. And those are pretty open, I'll say that. Um, we, we believe that Christians can come from any denomination, and there's movements of Christianity all over the place. Uh, but if you go to our, our website and you read our beliefs, you're going to find things that pretty much all Christians agree on. Okay, um, So I endorse wholeheartedly the beliefs. I will continue to cultivate a vital spiritual life by maintaining a daily prayer life, by spending regular time in God's Word, by maintaining active involvement in Christian community, including regular participation in the missional equipping gathering I am a part of, which is our Sunday programs, uh, our Sunday worship time, uh, responding obediently to God's discipline in my life uh, and purpose to discover, develop, and use my spiritual gifts for the kingdom. I will lead a moral life consistent with the character standards for elders set out in Scripture. If, we, if, everybody, if every member of this church is, a, is, a, uh, is on mission, uh, is, is a minister of the gospel, then we hold ourselves to a high standard. If I have a serious moral lapse, I will promptly bring this to the attention of the governing elders to whom I am accountable. I will cooperate, uh, co cooperate with their counsel about how this problem may affect my ministry role. I also commit not to willfully break the law without the support of those in leadership over me. That's a fun one. We didn't say you can't ever break the law. There's maybe a time where it's necessary to break the law, right? I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> I will maintain a healthy family life, and if single, a healthy relational life. If my family or relational life is, is experiencing serious problems, I will promptly bring this to the attention of someone in leadership over me, and I will cooperate with their judgment about how this problem may affect my ministry role. Missional community. I will regularly participate and serve in ministry at the missional community level. For us right now, that's steps one through three. That You may not have a formal missional community yet. That's okay. I agreed uh, to never... Uh, exploit or use FCC, other missionaries, or my missional community for my own personal, financial, or emotional gain. 
I agree to serve them as best I can, placing their needs above my own. I will forgive those who wrong me, and I will not tolerate an attitude of bitterness or strife within my own heart. I purpose to conduct myself with humility, compassion, and forbearance toward my brothers and sisters in Christ. As God convicts me to do so, I will seek forgiveness from those whom I have wronged. Lastly, I will be a loyal supporter of the leadership of my local movement at Fremont Community Church. I will be an active advocate of our corporate vision to see missional communities emerge. I will accept my responsibility of serving and consistently attend training and engaging, engage coaching. I agree also when called upon to offer my voice in helping to make decisions, guiding FCC with wisdom and fairness. As God has blessed me, I will be consistent and generous financial supporter of FCC and its ministries, trusting that FCC and its leaders will widely use these resources to bless others. Above all, I will love remembering that this characteristic should mark us as Jesus' disciples and remind the world of his message and his cross. As the Lord Jesus guides me by his grace with humility, I fully commit to be a missionary with FCC for one year. A couple quick notes before I wrap up. It's very verbose, right? But essentially what you're, what you're committing to is saying, I'm going to do my best to follow Jesus and be consistent in my spiritual life. I'm going to do my best to serve others and be faithful to the missionary practices that we've talked about in the discipleship pathway. And I'm committed to joining others at Fremont Community Church to support and participate in this mission together. And so, like I said earlier, if, if you're like, yep, no, no need to say more, I'm in. Awesome. During this next worship set, get up wherever you want, and you can just sign your name and put your email on there. We'll make sure we get you on our, um, our Discipleship Pathway uh, email address. Uh, sorry, our Ordinary Missionaries uh, email list. The, the other thing um, that I want to say about that um, before we close is that all of our elders and our staff are in this with you. When we sign this missionary commitment, it's not something that we, we, we don't take seriously ourselves. We seek to live this out, and, and we're just saying, hey, this is what we feel like God is doing in our midst, and it's really exciting, and we want you to join us, and we want you to experience it. Third thing, if you've gone through a discipleship pathway, this is, what, uh, our, this is our new membership class. Now, it won't always be nine weeks, okay? But you guys got the special nine-week version of it in service. Uh, if you're not already a member of Fremont Community Church, but you want to become a member, you just checked the biggest box there is by going through the discipleship pathway. Because we believe at FCC, we've set a goal that every member of FCC says, I am a missionary. That's what we want. We want every member of FCC to say, that's me. I am on mission with God. I'm not just here to participate or to consume. I'm here to, I'm here to join I'm here to be on mission. Okay. One last thing that I'm really excited about. If we can see this last slide here. Missional prayer walks. Last year, we set a goal after our first discipleship pathway that we wanted to have 500 prayer walks happen. 500 prayer walks by FCC uh, members in 2022. And we did more than 500 prayer walks, which is awesome. But now many more people have gone through Discipleship Pathway. And you know that extraordinary prayer and fasting and prayer walks is such a key component to it. So we've set a goal for the rest of the year, rest of 2023. We've got 10 already. We've got more than that. I just haven't reported mine. And I'm sure like you know, a couple other people haven't reported theirs. But <laughs> if... If you're in this with us, we want you to just, you're going to get a regular email that allows you to record your prayer walks, and you can just go to our website. Click here to en enter your weekly prayer walks. We do this for a reason. One, just as an accountability measure. Like, are we actually doing what we've set out to do, what we've committed to do? And two, because that's something to celebrate. Why? Because every single prayer walk we, we do is a, is a space that we make for Jesus to move, to do something new. So... Let's see that by December 31st of 2023, let's have, let's have way more than 1,000, all right? That's just the baseline. Let's, let's knock that out of the water. Why do we prayer walk? Because this has to be a movement of God. By signing this commitment and saying, yes, I'm on board, and yes, I'll be praying and prayer walking and fasting, you're not saying, yes, I've arrived. I'm the kind of disciple that Jesus has been looking for. You're saying that no matter how long you've been a follower of Jesus, no matter how much Bible you know, no, no matter what you think of yourself, 
Nothing is impossible for God. You're saying, yes, God, I believe that you can do anything. Even though I'm scared, even though I don't know where all of this is going, even though I, I, I can't see five steps ahead down the road, I believe that you're at work. I, I believe that you're bringing healing. I, I know you've done it for me. I see it happening in other people, and I don't think you're stopping there. I believe you can work through me, even in my shortcomings, and I want to join you on this life-giving work that you're doing. I close with this. Think of my brother. He didn't have all the answers. He was brand new to his faith. He didn't understand a lot about the Bible. And he's probably changed his mind about how he even reads the Bible over these decades since. But his excitement over what God was doing in his life and the change that it made in his life, it, it, it made him say, it can't stop with me. And it spread from there. And like, and like Paul to Timothy, my brother's name is Paul, so that's kind of fitting. It went to the next person who said it can't just stop there. And it went to the next person and said it can't stop there. And on and on it goes. I don't want to miss that. And I don't think you want to miss that either. I, th I think God is on the move and exciting things are happening. And I just want to say yes, Lord. Yes, I'm open to it. So let's pray. Lord, we, we give you this morning. Forgive me for speaking for so long. <laughs> so much to pack in in this, this closing of this very important series. And so, uh, God, I, I just pray that you would be speaking to us by your spirit. Lord, I pray for, for those of us who say, FCC is my home church. God, what are you doing here? Why, why are things changing? What are you up to? I pray that we wouldn't need all the answers to take action, but instead we would say, if Jesus is in this, then, then it's going to go somewhere really, really good. Lord, I truly believe that we experience real life when we join you. Jesus, you said it's the, the ones who hear these words of mine and put, put it into practice. Even when the, the waves come and the rain blows and beats against the house, that, that foundation will stand. God, help us not just to be hearers of your word, but doers of your word, that we would live it out. That everywhere we go, we would bless people. That they would see our, our, our presence as a blessing. That long before we ever say any religious words at all, people will see your presence in us your loving kindness in us, your patience in us, your desire to, to serve and to speak life-giving words in us. I pray that as we seek to follow you and follow in your footsteps, that people would see what Jesus truly looks like in us as much as humanly possible. And as we commit to you today, God, and to each other in this community, we say, have your way, God. I know it's possible with me, and at best, that's pretty good. At worst, it's pretty bad. But I want to see something that's only possible with you, God. Move in this place. Move in us. Move in this community, this family. We love you and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.